We work with hardworking professionals looking to opt out of investments for the clueless. I mean, mainstream investing. We work with people we have a direct relationship while enjoying higher returns and a quicker path to financial freedom. I personally move my endorsement from turnkey rentals to syndications as my net growth has grown. However, the downside of many of these deals is that you need at least $50,000 to invest, and the frequency of deals that meet my criteria is sporadic. Check out my article at simplepassivecashflow.com slash OFUND and learn how I always have cash on hand by using the American Home Preservation Fund as part of this one-two punch to be ready for a great deal while still making a double-digit return. I have been investing in AHP since 2016. AHP is a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, where collectively the fund and investors, like you, pull their money together and get great bulk discounts on distressed mortgages. It's a business model that I think gets stronger should a bump in the economy come, because this is where there will be even more distressed inventory for AHP to purchase. The American Home Preservation Fund aims to keep people in their homes so you can make a 10% return while making a positive social impact. Invest in as little as $100 by going to ahpservicing.com slash investors. And if you want the free Burn Zone book and learn about George Newberry's story, please send me an email at lane at simplepassacashflow.com. I like to buy stuff. Well, that's a liability. So significant issues, significant issues for us to address, for our policymakers to address. And as far as I'm concerned, this is not a time to put a tremendous amount of faith in a few guys and gals with PhDs. Uh, I think they think they know more than they do. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Us in China are, are what the um, the kind of the leading indicators, right? Or the, the big folks in the boat that can potentially tip us over. What are some of the trends domestically that you're kind of looking at or following? Yeah, you know, one of the things, you know, where we met, one of the things I wanted to highlight in the presentation that I gave um, even a month ago is that we're doing pretty well in the U.S. In fact, in some respects, by some measures, uh, we've never done better. Right. So what does that mean when you've never done better? You've got household net worth here in the United States at $113 trillion. It's never been better. I can tell you in the past, when things have never been better, that's usually been the end of a trend, not the beginning of a trend. Um, if you just look at sort of, again, going back to that idea of business cycle um, moves from sort of low levels to high levels and kind of oscillating back and forth, um, you go from employment like what we have now. If 50-year um, records of, of, of low employment. This is fantastic. Everybody's at work, everybody's being paid more. But it's important to keep in mind that these things tend to ebb and flow. And it's been 50 years since things have been this good. What happens generally when you get to these kinds of points is that they are in fact inflection points where it, it hadn't been this good in 50 years. Net worth hasn't been this good ever. And you start seeing reason actually for mean reversion. Mean reversion is just a a fancy way of saying uh, we operate according to a law of averages. And if things are great now, they're not always great. And they're, they're typically pretty good. But if they're super great now, the law of averages uh, and mean reversion suggest that, that we, we've got some downside. Downside in the stock market, downside in bonds. You know, real estate's tricky because real estate is tied to uh, interest rates. In, in many respects, if you follow a real estate portfolio, it's, it's very similar to a bond portfolio where the cost of capital 
the rate of interest is one of the key defining factors in value. If you look at cap rates, we could never have compressed cap rates like we have today if interest rates weren't on the floor globally and here in the United States. Um, with rising interest rates comes rising cap rates. And yeah, I think we know what that means in terms of uh, value for the asset as well. So the real challenge in the Americas is will the investor today benefit from central bank intervention in the market in order to extend these trends, keep interest rates low, not because of a normal natural market function, but just because by uh, policy edict, we want rates low. We're going to sit on them. I, you know, when I went to school, the idea was that interest rates were determined by buyers and sellers, not by policy edict, right? This is the nature of the free markets, correct? Where interest is, is, a, is a component and it reflects risk and it reflects uh, the, the solidity of the borrower. And if you're not a good borrower, you pay more. If you're a very good borrower, you pay less. Well, today, interest rates are being crushed down to very low levels across the board by policy edict. So we have a scenario unfolding where you could see pressure on stocks, bonds, and real estate, except that real estate is in this weird category um, where if they're able to effectively hold interest rates low indefinitely, who knows what happens to the value of real estate? People are clamoring for income. People have to have income. Our demographic um, sort of pig in the python, so to say, is this... Uh, move of baby boomers towards retirement is you probably know the numbers, at least 10,000 a day um, who are retiring. And guess what they want? They want their retirement assets working for them, paying them for something, right? And it used to be that if you had a million dollars and you're earning 5%, you could have a laddered CD portfolio at the bank, take very little risk, never go into principal and have $50,000 a year supplementing your social security income. You can't do that anymore. Today, if you've got a million dollars sitting at the bank, uh, you can buy a few cups of Starbucks throughout the year. That's it. That's it. So, you know, real estate is a, is a very interesting thing. I think there's some vulnerabilities there. Um, but, you know, as you said, this gets very specific. Um, I, we're talking very macro. Um, to do well in real estate, I think, is to, to hone in on the property um, and, and try to adjust many of the risk variables by um, preference. Preference for uh, a certain style of property, a certain place for that property, it doesn't it come back to the three words that you um i think everyone knows about real estate location 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 right like and you know kind of going back to what you're saying i think there was a statistic that somebody threw, threw out at that that mastermind where very soon there's gonna be more like 60 people turning 65 than babies born yeah. and they're gonna want to convert their assets that they that they accumulated through this accumulation um, mentality, which I think is wrong, and finally transition it to cash flow, the stuff that we aspire to now. And then, kind of going back to your earlier point, you know, like as an investor, I don't care what the interest rates are because as an investor, I make money off of the delta between interest rates and cap rates. I think I think you kind of mentioned they they kind of float based on one another. They kind of track the same way. I'll, I'll throw out a recommendation um, for folks listening and maybe you can do one too, David, but you know, I'll say like, look, don't, don't just stop investing, but if you have equity, not doing anything that just went up with the tide, uh, like, like that $500,000 in your primary residence, not doing anything, I think it's time to get that out or cash it out or get a new loan and lock in those long-term interest rates. 
especially if you're going to retire soon and lose that W-2 documented income. Um, but a- any other ways you see playing this? I think in in the years ahead, I would encourage kind of a low debt approach. Um, and, it, you know, the strongest position to be going into a period of mean reversion is having lots of liquidity and low debt. Right. Uh, that gives you lots of opportunity where others are hamstrung and have to play the patience game. Seeing cap rates at these levels, um, again, the cycles run from double digit cap rates down to low single digits. And we're at the low single digit into the range. Um, we just saw Simon Properties gobble up Tobman for you know a, f- a fairly significant price paid, and it was in the high fours. Uh, and this is this is retail property. Retail property in the high fours in terms of cap rates, in my opinion, is paying through the nose. Now it's a good property portfolio, and Simon's uh, no no slouch when it comes to knowing how to extract more value out of a property. Um, but nevertheless, these are probably some of the lowest cap rates Simon Properties ever ever paid, and I think that's that's worth keeping in mind. Maybe they can turn a four and a half into something higher by the magic that they work internally. To me, one of the best things that an investor could do today is hedge some of their bets. We like gold not just because we've been in the business for fifty years, but because we see some macro factors which are going to drive more interest in that direction. So both from a a gain perspective, it's attractive. Uh, Gold, silver, platinum, palladium, these are areas of interest, particularly gold and silver. And so from a growth perspective, very intriguing. You've got so many people on one side of the boat, Dow and NASDAQ and S&P hitting all-time highs uh, in the month of February uh, 2020. And who knows where we go, March, April, May. But typically you have a strong run in equities up through April. And this is where you've got investors who are contributing to uh, their IRAs and their 401ks. They've got the tax deadline in mind. So there's a little bit of a, a, a push, an extra push into the capital markets. And then after April, there's, there's, there's less capital flowing into the stock market. I would guess that after April, we might discover some significant weakness in the stock market. And when you begin to see that mood shift, and there's not just easy money to be made. You buy Tesla today and tomorrow it's up another $300. I mean, <laughs> you know, this, is, this is in crazyville at this point with some stocks. If that's not the case, then the whole mindset, the whole mood shifts. And this is where gold benefits tremendously. When there is any inkling of fear or need to hedge uh, positions in the marketplace, people go for the gold. So we launched a program called Vaulted a year and a half ago. It's a savings program with the Royal Canadian Mint where you can own physical gold. You can buy it $5 increments, $5,000 increments, $5 million increments. And um, you own kilo bars at the Royal Canadian Mint. If you want them delivered, you can have them delivered to your door. If you want to keep them there, you can buy it and sell it on your computer screen very inexpensively. Best counterparty risk you'll find, Royal Canadian Mint. And it's a very easy to use app. It takes less than 60 seconds to open an account at vaulted.com. To me, that's an entryway to sort of test the waters with gold, get to know the market, begin to watch the price, and be able to dollar cost average into a position in the metals. Um, I do see a significant mood shift beginning to occur. And again, we look at something like the coronavirus. Maybe it passes. Maybe by the time you've published this, it's a non-issue. Maybe by the time you publish this, it's five times the issue. I think what I look at uh, on a bigger scale is the fact that we're already in a declining trend 
in terms of global growth, in part because we're having a harder and harder time servicing the debts that are already outstanding. $250 trillion, trillion with a T, is our global stock of debt. That's 320% of global GDP. We don't have an engine, a global engine big enough to service this debt with even a minor uptick in interest rates. So significant issues, significant issues for us to address, for our policymakers to address. And as far as I'm concerned, this is not a time to put a tremendous amount of faith in a few guys and gals with PhDs. Uh, I think they think they know more than they do. And so the guys in, in, at the ECB, the PBOC, the BOJ, all of the acronyms that are for your world central banks, um, they really think they're smart stuff. And they are smart stuff. Uh, but you have to recognize what you know and what you don't know. And they don't know everything. Um, but they pretend to. And that's their policy seem to reflect, uh, we know everything and we've got it under control. If they miss even a little bit, and there's a repricing even a little bit on $250 trillion in debt, you're talking about making the global financial crisis of 2008 and 2009 look like child, look like, look like child's play. So I, I would hedge bets. I would certainly continue to invest in, 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 in income-producing property. I'm very interested in that myself. But make sure that you have a ballast asset, something that is very safe, very stable under any circumstances. I think gold deserves a place in the portfolio. Vaulted's a great way to get, to get that process started. Yeah, something I'm kind of looking into also, you know, I think for guys that are, so it's, it's, it's a little difficult, right? Like these podcasts are free, right? And all kinds of people download these things. I mean, the, the folks that I kind of work with, and I, I'm sure you kind of work with, you know, they're mostly accredited investors. And I think, you know, the hard metals definitely have a place in it. But the trouble is when you get these like 22 year old kids with no money, and they think that they buy gold and it's like, dude, like you should go buy a rental property. You know, you don't have any money to protect. You got to grow it. That's kind of the, that paradigm shift or that, that paradigm that I think people need to be aware of. When you listen to different, different folks, you know, I think David and I, we kind of cater to the more of the higher net worth folks these days. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I've benefited personally from the real estate market over the last 20 years, but I, I personally have benefited more from the gold market over the last 20 mm-hmm. years. I've seen five times increase in my gold position, 500% gain, which far outstrips anything you could have had in the S&P or the Dow or the NASDAQ over the last uh, two decades. I think the only place you might have done better is if you're compounding at a high double-digit rate, you know, 15 to 20% a year because you owned the right kind of passive income property. Uh, so there, there, are, there are places to go off the market, so to say, off the publicly traded market. I think... One of the approaches that we take with the precious metals is a growth-oriented approach where you know certain products, gold versus silver, for instance, trade in a historic ratio, a relationship between each other. And today that ratio is, is at an extreme. At 88 to 1, the highest it ever gets is 100. The lowest it gets to is 15. If you play this ratio back and forth, you can take a few ounces and multiply those ounces. You know, over a course of time, to turn 1,000 ounces into 10,000 ounces, that can be done. That can be done. And so that's one of the ways that we approach the metals market through our advisory service is to compound ounces. So if any of your listeners are interested, we actually have a great write-up on compounding ounces. It's a very smart way to approach the gold market. For someone who wants a long-term allocation to either gold or silver, may not add any more money to that segment in their portfolio, but still want to see the number of ounces uh, that they control grow 
Um, if you could compound square feet, if you could compound acres, we're doing the same thing with ounces. You just, it, it's, it's something that's easy for us to do because we've been doing it for 48, almost 50 years. Love to, love to help anybody. And for us, it doesn't matter if people are working with $5,000 or $50 million. I'll be quite frank, it's, it's a lot more enjoyable to work with people who don't have that much money because they don't think as highly of themselves. We have billionaire clients and generally speaking, they're a pain in the butt because they do think that they're like one step away from God and they've forgotten where they came from. Oftentimes they've forgotten what it took to make the money and pride dominates. And, and just as human beings, sometimes money doesn't make you the better person. I have no preference. I have no preference. I like to help people. That's why with the vaulted program, we put no minimums on it. I mean, I had my kids in mind. If they want to put $5 into gold, they can. Zero respecter of, of, of uh, persons or net worth in that respect. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, not, it's not an unfortunate thing to, to write a trade for 50 or $100 million. As a, as a firm, we don't have to cater to just the super wealthy. That's the nice thing about working with private equity folks. And for those who don't know, private equity is, I would call it like, you know, net worth 500000 to $5 million, I guess. But when you get above that 10, 20, $100 million, you're more into the family office world. And that's exactly what David's mentioning. They're kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah, they can write a check, but if they're off skiing, you're not doing any deals. Whereas the private equity guys are kind of just working professionals, got, got a little bit of net worth. And, you know, they're, most, most of my investors are pretty appreciative, you know, kind of the work we do. So some don't, and then we, we don't work with them anymore. But for the most part, got a good working hard folks doing this stuff. And you mentioned earlier, um, April, What's what's going on there for people who aren't aware? We're talking about April and and kind of a, a seasonality within the stock market. It's not uncommon to see your your best six months of of stock market performance leading into April. There's been a, an old phrase on Wall Street. If you're looking at the stock traders' almanac, sell in May and go away, is is the phrase. Um, because you've got your best six months of growth, which end in April. And again, a part of that dynamic seasonally is because you've got a lot of retirement dollars that are being automatically allocated to stocks when money comes into 401ks and IRAs and whatnot. And it's just automatically put into the stock market through mutual funds or exchange traded funds or what have you. It ends in April with that priority being April 15th and the tax deadline. You have to make your contribution by April 15th. So that's, that's the way people act. That's the way people behave. And there's a benefit to those who are on the growth side. But it's also worth mentioning, and I mentioned April because typically your worst six months begin in May. And if you looked at a 10-year period or a 50-year period or a 100-year period, if you were a stock investor and you just invested in the best six months and then were in cash for the worst six months or sitting in gold for the worst six months, your returns would be tenfold better if you just avoided the worst six months and got out of the stock market for the six months. So what is very interesting to me is we have that time frame matching up with uh, non-resolution with the Chinese economy. Keep, keep in mind, I, when we talk about the Chinese economy earlier, this is one of those critical things. You know, you know how important Christmas is for us? If you're a retailer in the United States, how much of your business is done between Thanksgiving and Christmas? 60%, 70% of annual sales happen in this short period of time. Well, you have a huge amount of consumption and economic activity that happens around the Chinese lunar calendar. And the new year is when people are giving gifts. You actually see a, a boost in the price of gold 
every year around the Chinese calendar because people are traveling, giving gifts. It, it, it's, it's like our Christmas, okay? It's, it's a very fascinating thing to see happen. This year, everyone was, was acting like a shut-in. They didn't go out for meals. They weren't buying gifts. They weren't traveling. They weren't buying gold. They weren't doing anything. So again, we factor this into uh, 1.5 billion people who are not spending for one week or two weeks or three weeks. Duration is a big deal here. The coronavirus is a big deal or not a big deal as it relates to economic growth in China and for the world based on duration. If people are not getting out and spending and it's only for a one week period, it's just no big deal. No big deal. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the loss of lives. That is a big deal. But I'm just saying from an economic perspective, the longer this carries on, there's hesitation to spend. There's hesitation to buy real estate in China, to buy a new car, to go out and eat. And this is going to have a major impact on the global economy and the mood that we have coming into year-end 2020. Hey, Simple Passive Cash Flow listeners, I'm wearing my sleep shirt here because we make our money in our sleep. One of those things that I've been playing around with is this trade line hacking. And if you haven't heard of it, it's a great way to make some side cash, 100, a couple hundred bucks off each credit card every month. To learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash trade lines and check out our e-course to learn all about this cool way to make some money on the side. If that one's taken, I'll Look for the gold section in the, the investing menu at simplepassivecashflow.com slash menu. And for those of you guys who haven't checked out that page, that's kind of the, uh, the starting point to check out any of these type of, you know, all these different asset classes. You can invest in whatever you can, want out there to, to check that out. But before you go, David, real quickly, not to get political or anything like that, who's going to win the election and um, what does that mean? Is that another four years of good times ahead? Yeah. I, so many times, you know, we have this idea in the stock market of the of there being an efficiency where prices are reflecting all the knowledge that you can have at a certain point in time. If you look at the stock market today, we are, you know, in the 29,000 range at this recording, and there doesn't seem to be much of a concern for change. The stock market and its pricing would tell you Trump's a shoo-in. Trump, Trump wins. Maybe he introduces uh, even more tax benefits. Maybe he does some major infrastructure spending and taps the, the fiscal side uh, while he continues to pressure Jerome Powell on the monetary policy side uh, to sort of goose the system a little bit into the election and after the election. But today, the stock market would signal to you that Trump's, Trump, Trump's going to win. If uh, Bernie Sanders gets the nomination... Uh, if Elizabeth Warren gets the nomination, then I think you could see the stock market begin to sell off considerably. And if they win, then you're, you're talking about a, a 40 to 50% decline in equities, uh, a total bloodbath, a total bloodbath, because you've got some personalities in, in the Democratic Party that prize the idea of redistribution of wealth. It's not about economic growth. It's about taking a static pie and making sure that some people get a larger slice of it, right? I think Trump, generally speaking, would say, let's grow the pie. Let's grow the size of the pie overall and then see how it shakes out. Whereas, particularly with a Sanders and a Warren, I don't get the same impression with a Buttigieg or, I mean, there's, and certainly with the Mike Bloomberg, there's a more moderate position. Who gets the nomination? I would watch the stock market like a hawk because, again, the stock market's going to give you almost like a litmus test of status quo is okay as far as the stock market's concerned. If it's been good for four years, let's get another four years just like this. Right. That's that's what you see in the stock market being twenty nine thousand plus. <laughs>
the nomination on the Democratic side, and ultimately, if the Democrats do win, the only hope that stock investors have of of being okay is if a Bloomberg is 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 the winner. There's a whole bunch of people in there that, between reckless fiscal spending, well, frankly, the, the Republicans are just as reckless on the fiscal spending side. They just choose different projects. But in terms of the tax side, the markets will get very very concerned. And uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting if you've if you've watched the headway that Sanders is making. Um, he has a lot of grassroots support. A lot of grassroots support. DNC doesn't like him. The DNC would much rather have a moderate. DNC, I don't think, knows what to do with Buttigieg quite yet. Maybe a little young. Sanders is like an is is like an animal off the leash as far as the DNC is concerned. They can't control him enough. He's too much of an idealist. He's too much of maybe even a radical on the left side. Who wins? I still think Trump wins. Can that extend the growth trends for another four years? We've already extended the growth trends to 11. We're already long in the tooth in terms of what would be normal and expected for the next recession. On a normal time frame, we should have a recession or should have had a recession over the last year, two years, three years. Hasn't happened. Doesn't mean it won't happen. But what has allowed us to go this far, certainly money printing has been a part of that. You know, I'll just leave you with this thought because the fourth quarter of 2018 was very critical. We had the stock market selling off, major pressure. If you're looking at the way uh, insurance uh, was treated against default on some of your large banks like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, uh, tremendous amount of pressure, fourth quarter of 2018. Jerome Powell comes out and says, no, 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 no. We are not going to raise interest rates anymore. We're going to lower interest rates. So major U-turn uh, in the first quarter of 2019. And then, of course, they started their, their asset purchase program in September of 2019, which is also a very big deal, expanding their balance sheet. Okay? There's a reason why there's peace and calm in the market today, and it's called excess or ample liquidity from the world's central banks. This is not a good position to be in. It really isn't because the strength we have is artificial strength. It's like thinking that if I have a 15th cup of coffee, somehow I'm going to go and exercise that much stronger. Come on. It takes more than caffeine to be nutritious, nutritious and fit and, and feel good, right? But that's the way we're, we're operating on, on an intoxicated level in the markets. And it's on the basis of way too much liquidity flowing from the world's central banks, including the Fed. All that to say, I don't know, even if Trump wins, I don't know that he can hold it together. Maybe more business-friendly policies. Maybe in the end, it's less destruction that occurs in a market correction. <laughs> but I mean, I still believe in the business cycle where you have ebb and flow. You have good times and you have bad times. I, I think this is one of the reasons why I love what you're doing with, whether it's the mobile home syndication or the apartments, where you have you know, assets that are not priced every day in the marketplace, like a stock or a bond, but where you do have consistent and predictable cash flow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It allows you to take a long, longer term perspective. And, and that short termism for stock and bond investors is sometimes how they end up hurting themselves overreacting to the market volatility. Volatility is normal. Volatility is normal. Um, not afraid of it, but most investors don't know how to handle it. Long-winded answer to the Trump question. There is more to the story in terms of economic success, even if he wins. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I'm playing the game these days. I mean, I kind of space out when I go into deals and you know, I go into cash flow deals and I have no stocks, no equities. So I don't really care about that stuff. But 
you know, I mean, the tide rises all below boats and um, I go into deals that are cash flowing from the get-go. And when you take over a project, your oc occupancy will normally dip from like 90%, maybe down to 70 or 80% in, in, in the most of the worst cases. So it usually takes about three to six months to get it back up to stabilized. So in that period, I try and only have one or two of those out at a time. And then I go into the next one. So that's kind of been my operating procedure um, up until the election comes. And I don't know. I mean, what is your thoughts on this? I think if Trump gets in, I might be uh, going in twosies at a time. I mean, especially because I'm, I'm in dozens and dozens of deals at this point already have that base of stabilized cash flowing class BC assets. That's just my situation, right? Like Lane's not saying go all in if Trump wins. Lane's saying that is what I'm doing based on my situation, based on my portfolio. What is your thoughts on that? Should I should I be going in triple quadruple once he wins? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't because again, I think my primary concern is that your financial markets um, are they've got a lot of internal weakness. Um, you know, prices look good, but sometimes just on the surface doesn't tell you everything. If you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And so that's basically what we've had. The world's central banks putting a lot of lipstick on the financial markets. And I think it looks a little bit better than it actually is. So to go into a recessionary period, I, I would suggest still sort of some caution. I, I still like liquidity. I think having cash, having metals, you know, these are, this, this is not so that you are you know, saying no to deals. It's so that you can say more to deals that are priced even better. There's this normal thing. I've, I've had friends and family friends going back decades. Um, being in the financial world, as long as our family has, we've, we've had real estate developers as good friends for a long time. Every one of our real estate friends, real estate developers, goes broke three, four, five times in their career because they're always getting too far out over their skis. They always get too far out over their skis and they hit a minor bump and it's just a catastrophe, total yard sale. Lose everything, start over again. Smartest guy I ever knew in real estate was a guy who was selling homes for three to four thousand dollars a piece in 1935, 36, and 37. He took his single family home fortune, moved to California, bought a thousand acres in Napa Valley, and ended up building an apartment complex uh, portfolio in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, of, of right about a thousand units. Yeah, he's an operator, he's not using anyone else's cash. This is just him, but he never had any debt. He never had any debt on his real estate. And he'd go through an economic cycle where you have a recession. And all of a sudden, everybody who's over leveraged and barely cash flowing, their occupancy rates drop and they lose their properties. Guess who is there to buy those properties for 70 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar? What do you think his internal rates of return were on those purchases? When he ultimately, as you describe it, stabilizes the property, he's got no debt on it. He had the ability, see, this was his advantage. He had the ability to cut his rents in half in a market downturn, stay 100% occupied and wait for his neighbor to go broke. Position of strength, baby. Position of strength. Amazing. There's a guy who built multiple fortunes and you know, ultimately, before he passed away, lived up in Spokane, Washington. And his kids always wanted to know, real estate, real estate, real estate, what should we be doing? In the year 2000, you know what he told them? Go all in. Own 100% of your assets in gold. That's what I've done. He was completely out of real estate and stayed there until the day he died. Now, I'm not suggesting that that is the ultimate solution, but this is a guy who could see trends, macro trends, and said, 
yeah, you know what? Things are a little crazy. He thought the real estate market was crazy in 2003 and four and five before it went really crazy in five, six, and seven. But he would have been the guy to take several hundred million dollars and put it to work in 2009, 10, and 11. And his several hundred million dollars would be a couple billion dollars today. Again, he, he missed that cycle because he died. But he would not have missed that cycle on a strategic basis. He would have been reserved. He would have, he would have had cash and been able to buy things for pennies on the dollar. And I, again, it's just 11 years growth. It's great. Net worth, household net worth has never been this good. It's beautiful. $113 trillion. That's amazing. I'm not complaining. We shouldn't complain. If it, beca- if it goes to $120 trillion, that's great. But these things are cyclical. Easy come, easy go. So if we, if we get too enthusiastic on the momentum slide up, then you don't have as, enough, as much flexibility to deal with a normal downside volatility move. And that's where I think at this point, given the time factor, this is where we should be. We should be adding to cash, adding to gold, be a little patient and um, wait, not on the basis of the election, but wait on the basis of value being in front of you saying, yes, that's a great deal. Then I would be putting all in. I wouldn't be doubling it. I'd be tripling quadru. I would be, I'm with you. I'm with you. My time sequence might be a little different and it's not tied to Trump. Not because Trump hasn't done a decent job with some things in, in, in the four years that he's had. Uh, but I think this is a bigger thing. It's bigger than him. Uh, the global markets and the US markets are more than one man. All right. So if you guys got your Tesla stock, sell that and maybe consider putting it to gold. Um, check out the show notes, simplepassacashflow.com slash menu. Look on that menu for the gold section. And uh, thanks for jumping on, David. Appreciate it. Yeah, you we'll, we'll split this up in a couple episodes for people. But talk to you later, man. Okay, great. Thanks. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.